What's up, y'all? My name is Rico, and welcome to the What We Need Now podcast by Greenpeace USA. We know that people of color are not just disproportionately impacted by environmental issues. We are greatly concerned and very involved in tackling them. But too much of the conversation has separated climate, race, gender, and class. Our goal is to uplift the voices at the grassroots of our movement to envision, equip, and empower each other on what we need now to build a better world for all of us. Now, before we get into the episode, I have to give a huge shout out to Ash Williams, who helped create and produce this podcast and until recently was my co-host. Although Ash is no longer working for Greenpeace, he's continuing his critical anti-carcerality work to build alternatives to police and policing and to organize abolition at the intersections of gender, racial, reproductive, and environmental justice. The goal of what we need now is to uplift the work of grassroots leaders. So follow Charlotte Uprising, that's at CLT Uprising on social media, and we'll continue to support their work going forward. Now, let's get into it. Okay. What We Need Now, a podcast where we invite the people doing the work to do the talking. It's all anyone can talk about. So we're going to talk about it. The election. This historic moment with a whole lot at stake and what we need now to get through it. And look, things look bleak. It's not looking great, but there are incredible feats of organizing happening. And we want to highlight that. And we want to take a closer look specifically at what the youth are doing. Yes, the elusive youth. People love to say they aren't at the polls. So where are they? Turns out they're not too far. They're operating locally on the grassroots level. They're creating bold platforms nationally and internationally, and they're gaining community support and buy-in. I'm just going to quickly highlight a few, and I apologize if I don't mention your favorite org, but feel free to just shout them out in the comments wherever you're listening to this podcast. So a couple youth-led orgs. BYP 100 is a really dope national organization with chapters across the occupied U.S. Um, Their members are 18 to 35 year old black youth and they organize to end systems of anti-blackness, patriarchal violence and white supremacy all through a black queer feminist lens. So they're fighting for folks on the margins of the margins. I love how they describe that, um, including black women, girls, femmes and gender nonconforming people. Personally, I recommend, I'm almost treating this like a Yelp review and I'm telling you what to check out on the menu at the restaurant, but um, check out their She Safe, We Safe campaign to end gender-based violence, their agenda to build black futures, which is a policy platform, the Black Joy Experience mixtape, you can hit that on Spotify, and if you can get it, their exclusive swag. I, I think they have some really nice swag. The Indigenous Youth Council, another org to check out. It was started and led by women and two-spirit peoples during the Standing Rock Indigenous Uprising while peacefully protecting the Cannonball and Missouri Rivers against the destruction of the Dakota Access Pipeline. I'm sure you've seen some of that organizing. Um, They work through education, spiritual practices, and civic engagement. Another newer org is Freedom March NYC, which was started by two black women from Columbia University. They provide training to organizers in New York and to other cities, as well as pushing supplies and support for nonviolent protests. They're doing a lot of work leading up to this presidential election and their mayoral election in 2021. And maybe, maybe you're thinking that youth are out here in these streets taking action now because, you know, quarantine's got them bored in a house and in a house bored. But 
most of those organizations didn't start this year. And let's not forget the 16,000 child miners from Philly that marched on Washington, D.C. in 1908. The, the Soweto uprising, which began when children took the streets for a peaceful demonstration in South Africa and were met with brutal police violence. And again, I'm skipping so many examples, but the main point is that the youths are out here in these streets, literally, and they have been. Young people are leading fights for climate justice, racial justice, prison abolition, indigenous sovereignty, and many other things. And for the next month or so, a lot of that energy is going to go into the election. And while often the messaging of get out the vote focuses on individual responsibility, I honestly can't be mad at people who feel disillusioned with a democratic process that has worked so hard for so long to lessen the power of folks' vote and their access to it. COVID and this current administration have exacerbated some of the very real barriers to voting that have existed for marginalized people for a long time. So rather than shaming non-voters, the goal has to be to motivate and inform people to remove the barriers to voting and to make sure that every single vote is counted. I highly recommend Ballotopedia as a resource for info about voting. Um, and as always, you can check out greenpeace.org slash USA slash what we need now to find links to pretty much everything we talk about on the show, including some election related resources. Next up, we're going to be talking with Isha Clark and Dulce Arias from Youth vs. Apocalypse about the work they're doing in the Bay Area to confront climate change and inspire folks to participate in the 2020 election. But first, this, this episode of What We Need Now brought to you in part by Staying Home. All over the country, cities and states are starting to recognize Indigenous Peoples Day rather than Columbus Day. <laughs> Why celebrate someone who committed countless atrocities against Black and Indigenous people when you could celebrate the people whose land you are literally on? Despite this, Columbus Day sales remain a thing. But need I remind you, we are still living in a global pandemic. Even the president has caught the Rona. So unless you're headed out of the house for essential goods or to go to the polls for early voting, this Columbus Day, why not do the one thing Cristobal Colombo should have done and stay the f*** home? Isha Dulce, welcome to the What We Need Now podcast. Before we get into it, could you each say your name, your pronouns, and what land you're on so folks can recognize your voices? Hi, my name is Dulce Arias, and I'm 19 years old. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And I was born in Mexico, but came to this country when I was about like five. But then the Bay Area became my home when I was seven years old. And ever since, I've been living here on stolen Ohlone land. Occupied Ohlone territory. Hey, y'all. My name is Isha Clark. I'm 17. I'm an activist, born, raised, and educated in Oakland, California, aka Occupied Ohlone Territory, and uh, I use she, her pronouns. Word. I'm also on Ohlone Territory, so we're all in the Bay Area, but for obvious reasons, we're not in the same space, but I thank you for being on the podcast today. So I want to hear a little bit about Youth First Apocalypse. Um, what do y'all do? How did you get started? Dulce, do you want to start or should I? I feel like you should start because you're like the OG. <laughs> okay. Um, so Youth Versus Apocalypse 
started as a group of young people to fight against Phil Tagami, who is a very powerful developer in Oakland and who was at the time and still is trying to build a coal terminal through West Oakland, which is a community that is predominantly working class people of color. And that campaign was called Youth Versus Coal. And then from that campaign grew Youth Versus Apocalypse. Why is it important to highlight youth um, in Youth vs. Coal and in Youth vs. Apocalypse? You put that first. Why is that uh, framing important to you? Yeah. Um, I think we like emphasize like youth versus coal, youth versus apocalypse, because at the end of the day, we are literally the future. Um, we're the mm-hmm. ones that are going to carry on like whatever crisis we're in. Um, and we're the ones that are going to be like most affected by all the decisions like everyone's making right now. We're like the people of mm-hmm. tomorrow. Um, so I feel like it's really important for mm-hmm. us to take the lead, even though like it sucks that we have to because we have these adults who have like hella power. You know, they have money. Um, they get to like sit in like the um, how do you call it? These important positions that us youth can't because we have to go to school and basically literally like learn how to sell ourselves or money, but I feel like ever since like I became um, like an activist and organizer, I feel like I could basically do anything and help my community instead of like waiting after I get like a bachelor's or something. And I feel like right now that's super powerful because I don't know, like school is just not for me and I hope to change it one day, but a lot of the times, like, the adults tell us to, like, wait um, and until you get, like, a bachelor's or, like, a degree in something and then start making the change. A lot of the youth know that they have, like, the power, um, and so they're taking action and they're accomplishing a lot of things. And I feel like in the little time that I've been with YVA, um, I feel like we've done together a lot of things um, that I truly didn't think I could have if I, like, waited until I finished school. I second that. And I also like, I feel like people are kind of acting as if this is something new. Like it's not. Young people have been leading movements forever. (laughs) I mean, like every single big social movement was led by mostly young people. I mean, like the civil rights movement, there was I mean, if you want to go like young, young, there was the Birmingham Children's Crusade where it was literally middle and high school students who walked out of school and had a significant impact on that specific time in that movement. There was the Black Power Movement that was started by two Laney College students and then had many middle school, I mean, uh, high school students that were joining and really like being the spine of that movement, you know? So like, this isn't new. This young people are the people who consistently push the change that is needed in society. Yes. You can't see me, but it was, there was a lot of nodding. I got to realize that in a podcast medium, mm-hmm. nodding is not, it's not <laughs> how you give affirmation. Right. Um, I'm, still, I'm still new to this, but yeah, I really, I really appreciate both of what y'all just said. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I agree. I don't think it's anything new. And I, I mean, even thinking about, you know, John Lewis, who obviously mm-hmm. there's a renewed focus on his work. He was very young when he got started with that work. I think yes. he was like 17 yes. when he met Rosa Parks. Um, right. So 
What is YVA working on right now? Well, we're kind of doing a lot right now. Dulce, do you want to talk about a little bit and then I can pick it up from there? So Youth vs. Apocalypse is putting out a song. It's called This Is The Time. And it's going to be released on October 15. You can find it on Spotify, YouTube, and Apple Music. And this song, basically, it's a contribution of different people in Youth versus Apocalypse, talking about, like, the time is now to act, and also encouraging people to get to the polls. Then there's a campaign trying to put pressure at this big company who holds all the public school teacher pension fund in California, and they're actually investing it in fossil fuels, which sucks because it affects our own communities. And also this like company named BlackRock who are like literally funding destruction in our communities in order to get money. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to add? Yeah. So I think kind of just to like talk about the big picture for a second. For me, and I think really for everyone in Youth First Apocalypse, our purpose and our work is to acknowledge the fact that the reason why we are in this state of climate crisis and really like all of the crises that we're experiencing in this very apocalyptic moment is because our country was founded on unsustainable, destructive systems of oppression, systems of white supremacy and patriarchy and colonialism and capitalism. And because of that, in order to stop the climate crisis and to stop all of the crises that we're experiencing right now, we have to dismantle that foundation and work to build a new foundation in its place that is envisioned by the communities who have been most hurt by these systems. And that is built on justice and true sustainability and that is the work of now. And that is the work of Youth First Apocalypse. And so all of the campaigns that we're in um, are working to do that in different ways. And this one specific campaign that we're working on right now that Dulce mentioned is called This Is The Time. And it's really this multi-layered national action where we are launching a pledge and we are trying to get young people under the age of 18 who can't vote to mobilize their communities, to mobilize adult allies, to sign this pledge, to fight, to leave us a livable and just society. And in that pledge, it lists all of the things that that means, um, which is a lot. But to summarize, is basically creating a society in which everyone can thrive. And so there's also a song and a music video that Dulce was talking about to get people's attention. There's this social media campaign. There's a lot. Um, so that's my spiel. <laughs> Word. And I, I appreciate you talking about the vision and also what it looks like on the ground, which leads me to the vote. Um, I, I want to hear how you're connecting this long-term agenda, big systemic changes to the polls, which is a more immediate issue. Mm-hmm. Um, how how are you doing that? How do you make that connection? We've been having a lot of conversations about this within YVA, um, where <laughs> I'm like trying to figure out how to how to talk about this because I think voting is such an important thing right now. And every person who can vote needs to vote. And at the same time, it is not 
only about voting. You know, it is about, like I was talking about before, creating this movement that has already been in the works to completely reimagine the entire way that we exist on this planet. And so I get the immediate push to vote because that's what's happening right now in this moment and is the most, one of the most pressing things right now. But the way that we're thinking about voting is more as a step. Like it is one of the first steps in building this movement that we need in order to create the society that we want to see. Because the truth of the matter is that for people of color, for poor people, for queer and trans folks, for women, uh, political systems and, and people in positions of political power have never been for us and have never done anything for us, really. And so... It's about getting people in positions of power who are in who are most in alignment with what we are working towards and pushing the hell out of them <laughs> yes. every single day to get to where we need to be. It's so much bigger than just, you know, vote for whoever, right. <laughs> you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I love that describing voting as a first step. And when there are so many attacks on it, when it's, you know, when when it's made more difficult and all of that, obviously, we're going to put energy behind not just making it safe for people, making sure their vote has power, making sure people get out to the vote. But we have to maintain that we are still working for something longer term. Right. right. And we're not going right. to be done once we get these election results. Right. And also, like, let's not ignore the fact that American politics have failed us like and have failed people of color and that like while I think that I sincerely believe that everyone who can vote needs to vote and I will say that but I also think like we can't shame people for not wanting to you know like we need to address that that is a real concern and that that is a real feeling that is a result of people being failed over and over and over and over again and so that's kind of just my call to people to like be compassionate and to really think about what it is that people have experienced in this country. And that is like flowing through our DNA, you know, and how we walk through this world. Let's have some compassion for that. And still let's tell our people to vote. <laughs> yeah. I was just going to say like, as an organizer, how do you meet people where they're at? If people feel, you know, uh, disillusioned with this whole democratic process or don't feel motivated to vote, how do you message that to them? I feel like in order to like have change, like how you say, you kind of have to like meet people halfway. And it's kind of like that for voting. Like you don't agree with like the government, but you have to meet them halfway and like at least try to vote, especially because I feel like they're like scared of like the vote of people of color, you know, like, um, it was not until like the nine, the late nineteen somethings when like the people of color could vote, like indigenous people, black people. So Dulce brings up a really straightforward question with a very complicated answer. When did people of color in this country get the right to vote? Simplest answer I could give is that black folks, indigenous folks, and other people of color in this country have won the right to vote many times and been denied this right through changes in legislation and direct or indirect voting restrictions, which continue in varying degree to this day. 
Two dates that might be familiar to you are 1865 when the 13th Amendment partially abolished slavery and 1870 when the 15th Amendment prevented states from denying the vote on the grounds of race explicitly. What a lot of folks may not know is that prior to the 1800s, some black wealthy men could vote in some places. In New Jersey, voters included women property owners as well. But then those places shifted from class-based to race-based voter discrimination, and those folks were no longer eligible. After the Mexican-American War, the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo meant that Mexicans living in territories gained by the U.S. technically were citizens, but language barriers and intimidation limited access to voting. Between 1865 and 1870, the aforementioned amendments and the guarantee of citizenship to males born or naturalized in the U.S. meant, once again, some black and other POC men could vote in some places. But during Reconstruction, poll taxes, literacy tests, and the newly formed KKK prevented many black people and poor white folks from voting. If you're listening to this on the website, I recommend clicking the link to the sample literacy test. It's not as easy as you might expect. Okay, 1876, a Supreme Court decision explicitly prevented indigenous folks from voting. The Chinese Exclusion Act barred people of Chinese ancestry from becoming citizens in 1882. The Dawes Act granted U.S. citizenship to indigenous folks willing to dissociate from their tribe in 1887. The 19th Amendment prohibited states from denying the right to vote on the basis of sex explicitly in 1920. 1924, Native Americans are technically granted citizenship, but some states barred Native Americans from voting through 1957. 1965, civil rights organizers finally won the Voting Rights Act to enforce the 14th and 15th Amendment and eliminate poll taxes and literacy tests and provide for bilingual ballots. This act meant that along with many black folks, my father and his mother voted for the first time in the same election. But as is the theme here, there were limitations. For example, people convicted of felonies are still not allowed to vote in some places. Also, a Supreme Court decision in 2013 rolled back many of those hard-won protections. So again, it's not straightforward, except to say people of color have been fighting for the right to vote since this country's inception, and the fight continues to this day. To me, like it's important to like play their game, but to an extent, not enough to like be as like hella oppressive like they are but enough to like um try to like play it smart and at least like vote you know people react to the truth like that is how you mobilize people that's how you get people to vote that's how you get people to to you know take whatever action you're doing if, if it's rooted in truth and you're telling that truth and that's going to get people so i think like to go back to something that dulce said like systemically marginalized people understand what it means to play the game you know so if you talk about it in that way if you say we know this is not ideal like this is not an ideal time or situation for anybody you know but it's about playing the game to win and then change it and one of the ways that we do that is by using our voting power to get in the people who are most in alignment with what we want. And like I said before, to keep pushing and pushing. And I think when you talk about it in that way, with this larger context of the fact that we're fighting to dismantle all this shit, like we're fighting to, to completely reimagine the way that, that we're existing. And in this moment, we have to do this thing of voting and then we can step back and say, okay, <laughs> time to tear it down <laughs> you know up next we're gonna hear a little bit about dulce and isha's art 
and the brand new song, This Is The Time, that YVA released earlier this week. But first, a word from our sponsors. Hey there. Do you struggle with a strong sense of self-entitlement? Have you ever walked into someone else's home while they are in the kitchen eating dinner and declared, this is mine's now? Do you have an abnormal allegiance to the state and would look past genocide if it meant inheriting the spoils of the fallen? Then you just might have Columbusitis. Many people suffer from Columbusitis but refuse to allow it to define their relationships with people of color and their own history. That's why they're choosing Ain't About You. Ain't About You has been shown to increase empathy and is effective against symptoms of Columbusitis like appropriation, gentrification, and bootstrap narratives. While other treatments have led to white guilt, tears, and fragility, Ain't About You gets to the root of the problem and provides ample amounts of unlearning, self-reflection, listening, and humbling. Ain't About You may lead to existential crisis, questioning your accomplishments, strained relationships with those who have not yet undergone treatment, anger at the education system, racial capitalism, and chronic incredulity at the state of the world. Some patients reported sitting in silence for hours. It may have taken a lifetime to develop columbusitis, but it doesn't take a lifetime to cure it. Ask your doctor about Ain't About You. So Isha, I, I met you in the context uh, working on a project where you were doing aerial dance. Um, yes. and, I'm, and and Dulce, I hear you got some bars. I hear you rap um, <laughs> and do some graphic design. So I'm wondering if y'all could just talk about like, what is the connection for you between the art that you make and your activism? Well, on a, on a very like personal individual level, I think that my art allows me to do the work that I do because for me, my dance and writing or whatever I'm doing in the moment is therapy and allows me to release and process and step out of my mind, which is something that I can't really do any other time. But on this like larger level, I think art has always been a part of activism and social movements. It is it is the artists that spark the inspiration and really allow people to understand these really complex concepts also like in these times when everything is just so depressing and like there's always something more horrible that's happening 2020 man like you need inspiration you need music you need dancing you need beautiful photographs and videos and like you need all of that like that is what keeps us going as a people <laughs> as a as the human race so there's that too yes i'm doing nodding again but <laughs> yes i resonate with that for sure for sure um what about you dulce for me like at least i feel like um art is like very healing and how you should say therapeutic that's like a good and powerful and beautiful way to like reach other people and i know for like the song that we made for YBA, the first one, the vision I had with our um, music director mm -hmm. was that, you know, like, at least the climate movement, how the media portrays it, it's very, like, whitewash, veganism, you have to talk, like, hella, like, professional and stuff. <laughs> Some people, like, fight the fight the same way it started, and I, I don't feel like that's something that should mm -hmm. continue on. And with music, like... 
um mm. to be honest not like everyone wants to read a whole ass article about like the climate movement and stuff like that cuz at least for me like a lot of times i don't have time and with the music it's short it's nice it's vibey and you get the message across mm. and you get to like reach people that like um probably cannot find these like good articles or don't want to read them are you performing on the song or did you did you write this actually um i'm one of the eight yva writers and i know isha you're on this right (laughs) i am how y'all gonna be coy about that like hold on you just talk about the song (laughs) all abstract so you so y'all like y'all are part of the people who created the song yes i was just gonna say uh dulce brought up the first song that we made that I actually wasn't on, but it was called, or it is called No One Is Disposable. And if you're listening, you should definitely go check that out. We're on all streaming platforms. And there's also an original music video that I would highly recommend watching. And for me, that was so powerful because it was the first time that we had really simplified that language about what I was talking about in the beginning. You know, the fact that this is about the foundation on which we live on the fact that like, we're here because of all of these messed up systems of oppression. And that song captured it in such a simple way. No one is disposable. Like that is why we're here because our society views people as disposable and just like, the fact that that was able to come out through that music was so powerful. And I can't wait to see that happen again with this next song called This Is The Time. For whatever reason, in this moment, we are experiencing the crumbling of these foundational systems, not because they're not functioning as they're supposed to, but because they're functioning exactly as they are supposed to. And they are unsustainable, violent systems that were not built to last. Because of that, we have this unique moment to actually do the work that people have been trying to do forever, which is to dismantle these systems and to build something new in its place. And that is why this song is called This Is The Time. Yes. Yeah, that was like a phenomenal segue for my last question, which is what I ask every guest What do our listeners need to know and what do we need now to have an impact on climate and to take action in these times? I think that what people need to know is that they literally have the power in their hands. They just need to know how to use Mm -hmm. it. And to create change, you just got to like get up there and just like take action. And I feel like you will find your people and um, you can create change when you like work with your community. Yes. The only thing I will add is a lyric from This Is The Time, which I believe that Dulce wrote, which is, we are only out of time when we lose hope. Mm. That's a bar. (laughs) Yeah. Please let people know where they can find you and where they can find the song. Our Instagram is Youth Versus Apocalypse. Our Twitter is Y underscore VS underscore A. You can find us on Facebook. Our website is youthversusapocalypse.org. And if you want to go directly to the This Is The Time campaign website, you can go to thisisthetime.org. 
Okay, so now my favorite part of the show, which is where we ask you to take action. First, please text what we need now to 877. That's like a cheat code. It's the easiest way to do all the other things I'm going to ask you to do, which are visit youthversapocalypse.org to hear their new song and music video for This Is The Time, co-written by our amazing guests, Dulce and Isha, along with other Youth vs. Apocalypse organizers. Check out Balladopedia to find out all the information you need about voting in your local election. As always, continue to educate yourself on how to show up for your movement and communities. Please visit our website, greenpeace.org slash USA slash what we need now to learn more about this month's episode and check out the toolkit. The toolkit is really what it's all about. We're just trying to get you there. Um, and that's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. And remember, if you want to support, uh, share, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. That's all for now, but we'll see you next time on what? 